There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit ExcelsiorGP.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club podcast. Today I have with me Susan Latramoy. Susan, during her 38-year career as a wealth advisor, noticed that while many clients had plenty of money to retire comfortably, they were not as happy as they thought they would be in retirement. So after selling her financial practice, she turned her attention to helping advisors and their clients transition successfully into retirement. Susan is a co-founder and partner with Next Chapter Lifestyle Advisors. Susan, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here, Brian. So this is a very acute topic for me. My father retired about a year ago, kind of after COVID and said enough with this nonsense and is kind of struggling in retirement, honestly. We can probably get into that as a good fact pattern or proxy. And then my father-in-law, after a career in medicine as a surgeon, is, I think, three months out from actually closing the book and is likewise not outwardly, but inwardly really struggling with how to fill his days. So like a lot of millennials, this is very you know close to home for us in terms of topics. So maybe before we get into the meat of it, if you would, a little bit more background on yourself, because I think it is applicable to help inform the, the later conversation and the work that you do today. Yes. Well, it's really my 38 years as a practicing wealth advisor that informed me about the nature and the severity of this issue. As a financial advisor, I thought my job was done when people had enough money to retire and that was then they could just live their lives. And just this experience of watching them one by one with the struggle. And I have to say the struggle is not something they often share outwardly because their friends who are not retired say, well, you're lucky you're retired. What are you, what are you complaining about? Whereas they themselves are having some issues and we can talk about those issues. So for example, one client thought that he would be happy in retirement if he could just move to his gated community in Florida and play golf every day. 
And I often hear this, that, they, you know, that becomes the retirement project. And I saw him in May when he came back after his winter in Florida and he had injured himself. He played too much golf. He was also sick of it. His game had gotten worse because he was taking it too seriously. And he was saying, what now? You know, I gave up my business and thought this was my retirement dream. And I'm very disillusioned about it. Another client sold this company for almost $100 million, had never had that kind of wealth before. He thought he could buy his way to happiness. So he tore down his house, built a new one, bought cars, kids, cottages, compound in the Bahamas. I mean, he just really went on a spending spree and that didn't satisfy him. I watched another client who was a very sharp numbers guy. I actually met him when I was taking the director's course and a very, very smart man. And when he retired, the lack of using his brain caused early onset dementia. It was one of the contributing factors to his health decline. So, you know, this really bothered me, the fact that I witnessed these experiences over and over again in different ways. And that's what really prompted me to take this seriously. So when I started researching it, I realized that there weren't a lot of resources available for advisors to help their clients. And there certainly weren't a lot of resources available for individuals and couples to go through this transition. So that's what really led me to delve into this area. Unfortunately, had the good fortune of meeting my business partner, Marianne Osher, who had been doing retirement coaching for almost a decade. So we were a perfect complement for each other, my experience working with advisors and her experience working with individuals. So we can talk about some of the challenges that that your dad and your your father-in-law may be facing. But my feeling is that the higher people achieve, the higher success they achieve in their careers or professions or businesses, the harder they fall unless they have a plan for what they're going to do. Yeah. And, and I think it's really challenging for people that don't live in this space because for, for many of us, they would think that the dollars in the bank or these opportunities or just the safety of having that type of wealth or affluence equals happiness. And I talk to my boys a lot about this, right? It's in your mind, the narrative of what you define as success really does impact your mental state around this. And so it seems like things and money, if that's what you equate with or status, if that's what you equate with success, you can find that when you achieve those things, they are very illusory and there is no end to them because you can always have another zero. You can always have a higher status. You can always have more stuff. And so that hedonic treadmill just keeps running up. Exactly. Exactly. That hedonic treadmill is actually a good term for what the issue is. So, you know, back in 2006, when I was a practicing advisor, I was very plagued by the disconnection I found in people's lives between their wealth and their purpose. And so it, it led me to actually write my first book called The Rich Life, Managing Wealth and Purpose. So many of my clients, I, I just felt they were in the money game to make that extra half percent, pay less tax, to hit a number. But yet the money didn't have a connection to anything real in their lives. And that to me was very sad because the way I look at money is money enables you to have choices, enables you to do things in your life. And if, unless you've thought carefully about what those things are, it's kind of a, as you say, you get on the hedonic treadmill or it's just a shallow goal that people have. So I guess the, the, that was my real wake up call to this whole issue of the connection between money and purpose. And I think in retirement, finding purpose is 
is absolutely critical. And it's interesting, you know, this morning I was reading the New York Times. They have a, a consolidated weekly newsletter about wellness in general. And here in the States, uh, April 15, which is tax deadline is coming up on us. And there's a lot of anxiety around taxes, obviously. But the author was talking about, and she's a you know financial therapist, who was quoted in this, in this article saying that actually confronting your anxieties is one of the best ways to manage through them. And I feel like for a lot of G1 wealth creators that I know or, or super high achievers, they really just don't want to talk about retirement or not working or what will happen on the other side. It's just about the transaction. And they don't really want to get into, okay, well, what happens on the flip side of that transaction? So I assume part of your work is coaching them through this on the front end and asking these hard questions that they probably don't feel comfortable talking, right? Yeah, that's so true. Actually, we did a webinar for the Exit Planning Institute, and that's when we became really aware of the the need for this intervention, let's say, because a lot of the advisors that attended that webinar were thinking with you know, one half of their brain about their clients that they were trying to help through the, a transaction, and the other half of their brain was focused on their own tra- transition. So I would say that just because you say the word retirement, it doesn't mean the usual sort of the the dictionary definition of retirement, which is put out of use or get sidelined or no longer valuable. I would say that retirement today, and we don't have a better word for it, unfortunately, in the English language, but today I think it's really the opportunity to change what you've been doing and reevaluate and then rewire yourself. And I like that word better than retirement. It's actually about rewiring yourself to do more of the same, perhaps, or to change it up entirely, or to do what I did, which was take my 38 years of experience and leverage that into something where I had some expertise and related to what I had done. And I think for many people, that's a great way to to change, to, to rewire is to look at what your experience and your knowledge and your wisdom is all about and then use that in a different capacity or maybe some of the same capacity. So to get a, a bit more kind of granular and actionable, how do you how do you actually facilitate this process? Do you, you you sit down with the client and the family or walk me through kind of what the engagement looks like? Sure. So when people either in themselves recognize that they're not as happy as they should be or could be, or their family members observe a change, then we typically get a referral. And often those referrals come from their professional advisors because they have that kind of close relationship and they can see that, you know, there may be some struggle going on. So the first thing we do is, of course, a discovery call to make sure that it's a good fit for them and for us. And then we have a five-step process that we take people through that we've developed and it works every time because it is a repeatable process. So step number one is an assessment of their lifestyle priorities and motivations. And this is really important because if you ask a lot of people, well, what are you going to do in retirement? You typically get the bucket list answer, like travel, like golf, like reading, like volunteering. But people, not everybody is wired the same way. And we really need to tap into the underlying lifestyle priorities, the underlying motivations for what that person is all about. So a number of years ago, I got exposed to Success Finder, which actually looks at 85 traits, and we call it behavioral DNA. 
because it goes deep into the psyche of the person. You know, you probably you are familiar with Colby, I'm sure, the four factor, you know, the fact finder fall through quick start implementer model, which I think is great, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. So it's somebody that I worked with that I did success finder with said that it was like Colby on steroids, this success finder. And so once we really tap into the makeup of that person, it saves a lot of time and it's a great language then for a couple to be able to communicate with themselves if they both do it. And they can communicate much better with each other having this same language. So step number one is the success finder assessment, which involves an online assessment. I do a verbal, usually a one-hour debrief meeting, and then I send the the client, the written report. So they have lots of access to that for follow-up. At that point, my partner, Marianne, takes over in, in step two, which is the deep dive discovery. And that's a series of exercises. Some are thinking, some are writing, some are speaking exercises, where the person really does a, just as it says, a deeper dive into what's inside them. Step three is the clarity matrix, where we put together the combination, the results of the success finder assessment as well as the deep dive discovery. And this is where the light at the end of the tunnel starts to emerge. Step four is building the happiness portfolio on a rich life platform. So the rich life is the the concept and the philosophy that I wrote about in my two books, The Rich Life, Managing Wealth and Purpose, and then the latest book, Nine Steps to a Rich Life Retirement. And that foundation philosophically is live well, give back, leave a legacy. And we can talk more about that. But the happiness portfolio that's built on this rich life foundation consists of eight areas of life, not money, because that's the job of the financial advisors. So we identify these eight areas with the client, and then they do some thinking and planning of how are they going to manifest their lives in these eight areas. The one that advisors, I think, are well-equipped to talk to their clients about is their professional intentions. So are you going to stay working? Is it part-time consulting contract? Or are you completely finished and there's no professional engagement? And for anyone, any advisor working on the money side, that's very important to know what the client's intentions are. The rest of it, we give to the client to work on really on their own through a workbook or Marianne's book, which has a lot of exercises. But what we want to do is stimulate thinking about those eight areas of life so that the client can come up with, if we were to use a financial analogy, a balanced and diversified portfolio of life. Because we all know that when you have a career or a business, you spend the bulk of your time working and your life can become quite unbalanced unless you, you consciously make time for friends and family and giving back and self-development, health and wellness, et cetera, et cetera. So that's step four is building your happiness portfolio. And then step five is what we call the rewirement check-in. So a lot of times people will have best laid plans. I'm going to, you know, sign up for that course. I'll put my name forward for this board seat. I'll start going to the gym for improving my health, but it's hard to get started. So these rewirement check-in calls happen periodically to make sure that people are on track. So that's our coaching process when we're working with individuals and couples, taking them through these five steps from oftentimes confusion, sadness, loss, feeling of loss, and so on, into being really excited about their next chapter. 
In fact, we, we've just recorded some video testimonials with a number of our coaching clients and they're on our website. And it was just really lovely to see how they had transformed from their earlier state to where they are now. Yeah, it's, that's great and super helpful. Thank you for going into detail there. I had somebody on my show recently that said a stat that, and I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but the majority of men who, when you ask them whether they want to spend retirement, they say they want to spend more time with their wives. And then when you ask the wife what they want to do after their husband retires, it's not nearly the same percentage. That's not the priority for them. <laughs> do you see this disconnect or dynamic often amongst your clientele where, you know, we're be stereotypical here, but, you know, the oftentimes the male husband who started the business, worked really hard, thinks, oh, on the other side of this, I'll spend time with my wife. Meanwhile, the wife is saying, no, I mean, it's not necessarily going to be my biggest priority. <laughs> I'm chuckling because in our one of our case studies that we use when we're training advisors on how to talk to their clients in this area, we have exactly that scenario. He's a CEO. He's been traveling. He's been running this company and never home all, you know, and she was more or less stay-at-home housewife, mother, raised the kids, participated in community events. I mean, just that classic, supported her husband, and her life was pretty much built. So her retirement was really, it's not really a word in her vocabulary because she's been doing, she's made her life a full life. She's living her rich life with her friends, her golf, her bridge, her book club, her children's activities, grandchildren. I mean, that's her retirement plan is more of the same. Whereas he has a drop dead retirement date. It's December 31st and you're out. So then his wish to spend more time with his wife is met with, you know, I married you for life, but not for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> and then we find that because he's used to running things, controlling things, that he'll start to meddle on the home front. We sort of have this joke that, you know, she comes home one day from her tennis game and the kitchen is completely reorganized. And the kitchen has been her domain because he's never around. And so all of a sudden this starts to creep into some marital discord, perhaps, or some disagreements and things that probably were never an issue during the, you know, the traditional roles that they played are all of a sudden an issue in their relationship, in their marriage. And this, I'm sure you're familiar with the statistics on the issue of gray divorce, but oftentimes this gray divorce is catalyzed by exactly this scenario. Yeah, the same guest mentioned that statistic of, and this might just be the states, but the highest percentage of divorces are now occurring. Over 50, over 50. You're absolutely right. And it's the same North America wide. Yes. We've put together a free resource available exclusively to our podcast listeners. If you're looking for strategies to safeguard your portfolio against inflation, you want to check out our latest guide on the best alternative investments to consider. Head to ExcelsiorGP.com slash download to learn more. So let's kind of segue this or try to use this to dovetail into a broader conversation, stepping up back about industry trends. And this is kind of where the challenge is, right? Is by the time... Saw so that fact pattern that we just discussed of that CEO who retires. It's much easier to prevent that by instilling in them and making sure that they're carving out time to build these relationships outside of work, right? So have you found that 
family office or the wealth management industries in general, that ecosystem is starting to implement that beforehand as, as a prophylactic against what we're seeing play out today? I would say it's just starting and it should have started many, many years ago. I think family offices are the ideal place for housing this, these kinds of services. And the smart family offices will recognize this issue and start to be proactive with it. So it, we are starting to work now with RIAs in the U.S. We're starting to work with broker dealers, advisors of all types, bank-owned firms, and so on. And they start to, the, the ones that are really on the sort of thought leadership side of the fence are seeing that this is a valuable resource that their advisors should be trained in. And I think it's an absolute natural for a family office because this is going to be very connected to that whole succession plan and the, the role of that G1 in the future. And so this is really a conversation about being a financial therapist, holistic, wealth management, your entire financial life. So these families that you referenced, what are they doing to do this? Well, are they bringing in kind of third-party professionals like you to help coach them through this? Are they, I don't know, trying to give people a distinct roadmap of, of how to achieve this? I mean, what are they actually doing in practice? Mm -hmm. So the ones that we're working with use our tools and we have a variety of resources and tools that they can use. And we have training on everything that we do. But the key tool, the sort of flagship tool for us is the use for them to start using what I call their next chapter lifestyle scorecard. So this is a four-part template really for a guided conversation that we train advisors on using so they can broach this subject with their clients. Because let's face it, most of the clients only think of their advisors, maybe not the family office, but in the other wealth management realm, they only think of their advisor as helping them with financial planning and money management. So for an advisor to come out of the blue and say, so, and this is the typical question, so what are you going to do in retirement? They're going to get a bucket list answer. But we maintain that when the advisors learn how to have this scorecard conversation, they get really deep, wonderful input them to help the client and then manage the financial aspects much better. So the scorecard conversation is something that a lot of advisors need to learn and to learn to be comfortable with because it's rich. It's really rich what can come up from that. That then would show the advisor that perhaps there are issues that, that someone like us would help, the retirement lifestyle planners would help with, or they need to be handed off to other professionals. So, you know, we all talk about collaboration with other professionals, accountants, lawyers, financial planners, insurance, banking, and so on. And in a perfect ecosystem, these, these professionals are all connected for the benefit of the client. But we think what's missing is retirement lifestyle planners at the same table, because really the decisions that are made about that by someone about their future and about what their life is going to look like have implications on all those financial areas. So the scorecard is really a great place for advisors to start. You referenced colleagues and, and introductions and networks. There is now a cottage industry supporting these individuals and families, right? You've got Tiger 21. YPO has a family office group as a subsector now within the broader network. There's a lot of organizations out there. 
Are there ones that are really catering towards this specific issue? I find that peer-to-peer networking is very powerful or can be. Have you found that to be the case? I know you mentioned that you do a roundtable as well. In-person networking events and relationship building, has that proven to be a powerful tool? Yes. I mean, coming out of COVID, everything was virtual and our roundtable is a, is a Zoom event. But now we're getting the demand for speaking at live events and running workshops and so on. So this whole subject is still, I'd say, fairly new. And so it's really the most proactive, forward-thinking advisories that are latching on to this. But the statistics are there. You know, Joseph Koslum, MITH Lab, has been talking about this for a number of years. And Dykewald from AgeWave. I mean, these are thought leaders in the wealth management industry, and they've been saying for some time that advisors need to become more holistic. They need to have different kinds of conversations. They need to recognize the issues that their clients are facing at various life stages and help them and do something about it. So I would say we're still early days in terms of we have early adopters, but I think it needs to get almost like becoming table stakes, just like the way money management, wealth management, and financial planning is, they're table stakes in the industry today. And I have to also add here that I think with the advent of chat GPT and and the whole artificial intelligence, that more and more of the traditional advisory role is going to be automated and will be handled by technology. So there's only one way for advisors to go, and that's to get more high touch. I like to say as the world gets more high tech, advisors need to get more high touch. And for many of them, and me included, we're not schooled that way in the early years of our careers. You know, we're trained to talk about markets and planning and numbers and, you know, buying stocks and funds and ETFs and insurance policies and so on. But that is no longer the primary conversation that advisors should have. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, I love this. And that, that was really where I was going to go next. In this world of fee compression and outsourcing and, and technology and automation, the, the investment management itself has become simpler, right? It's a commodity and now. It's commoditized, yeah, it's yeah yep. 100%, right? I mean, I was talking to the group that my, our family works with the other day and the return profile of then their boutique, them versus a Goldman Sachs versus a Bank of America you're talking about basis points, tenths of a basis points, probably over long enough time horizon. And so that could be a frustration, but it's also an opportunity, right? For groups that have the willingness and the desire to go to these areas of financial therapy, of financial wellness, of more holistic relationship building. I think that is going to be the value proposition for the industry moving forward. Absolutely. And especially when, you know, the fees are still hefty for for advisory work, investment management, and so on. And to earn those fees these days, you have to add these other services. You have to provide the value add, especially in markets like we're having now, where clients aren't necessarily making money. When they're making money, they don't object so much to paying fees. But if you have someone paying twenty, thirty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars a year to have their money managed, and you know, robot or technology is doing a big part of it, and they can't justify it on the basis of returns, because let's face it, very hard to outperform anything on the on the long run. Then you have to think about where your value add is, and dealing with life's journeys, <laughs> you know, for family members and for this huge transition into retirement is one of those areas that advisors really need to deal with. I mean, let's face it, the baby boomers are the wealthiest 
generation here. They are still the wealthiest clients for most advisors and they will maintain that wealth. You know, if you're retiring at 65 and your life expectancy is 85, 90, that wealth is staying with you. So it behooves the advisor just from a business perspective alone to start really helping their clients in this area. And the flip side of that or the corollary is when that transition does occur, millennials are, I don't know what the numbers are, they are very more likely than not to change financial right. advisors. 80% so, actually, 80% is that the number? inheritors change advisors. And that is so unnecessary if the advisor is doing it right. And yes, I get that, you know, they might want someone more their own age, but to have an advisor with the wisdom of years in the business that knows the senior members of the family is connected to the values that that generation has set forth for the family. I mean, that's really valuable to be able to offer to the millennials and younger generations. So I think this whole holistic approach is what will attract millennials to say, you know, I can get more if I, then if I just go to a, you know, an online service for my investments, I, I can really use my advisor, my parents' advisor as a sounding board for the issues that I face in my life. And then you've got a multi-generational family connection and that really locks clients in. They're not going anywhere. They're not eligible for poaching because you're doing such a great job for them. So along those lines, if somebody listening is evaluating a current relationship or a new relationship and they're, they, they're very interested in this area, they want to make sure that if this group has that expertise or the, the ability to execute on everything we've talked about for the last 30 minutes, what are the questions to ask? What are the red flags to, to be wary of? How do you parse through the marketing versus the reality? Well, I think the key is if is in a is in a meeting, is in a prospect meeting. So, you know, I used to earlier when I was still practicing advisor, I had your financial scorecard, which was a different version of the one that we use today. It wasn't just focused on retirement. But when people were looking for a new advisor, they, you know, I'd be on the list. I get a call. Can I meet with you? Yes. And the story would be, uh, we're shopping for a new advisor. Uh, we're talking to three people and we'll make a decision of who we're going to pick. So in that very first meeting, I would pull out the, your financial scorecard, which was, again, was a guided conversation about them, not about me. Then con contrast that with the other advisors who would typically say, well, I've been in the business this long. This is my team. I manage this much money. Here are our services and let's talk about the market. What I found in having that conversation, that deeper conversation right off the bat was that a relationship was starting to form and people would often say, well, I feel I can trust you. And I didn't really do any of the talking. It was them, but I was giving them space and an audience for their, them to share what's in their hearts, what's in their minds, their goals, their fears, their opportunities, their strengths, how they see the future unfolding. And it was Actually, one of my favorite parts in my whole career as an advisor was having these conversations. And it was really powerful in terms of both prospects making the decision to work with me. And it was great with existing clients where you'd done all the financial stuff and it was now an opportunity to go deeper. And what about, you know, I know one of the challenging parts about your industry is the alphabet soup of certifications and designations. And I mean, is there anything that in that you think is kind of worthwhile to flag as somebody who has kind of done this training or work, or is it really just about the vibe you get in person and that, that gut reaction? 
Yeah, it's really about the gut reaction in the end. I did actually another tool that I developed for people was a scoring system so that when they were evaluating options of different advisors, they could actually do it quantitatively and objectively. But the very last question is, what's your gut telling you? And so I, in the end, it comes down to human connection, a relationship. So really, it's about finding the match and finding people that you feel that you can trust, that you can f- develop a long-term relationship with. And of course, their, their platform has to have all the tools and the services that you need. But in the end, I think it's, it's that high touch, that advisory relationship that's the key for both parties, really, for it to be successful. Susan, this has been terrific. I want to thank you for joining us. If people are interested in connecting with your firm, yourself, learning more about the services that you all provide, what's the best way for them to learn more? Sure. We're happy to take emails. Susan at nextchapterlifestyleadvisors.com. The URL for our website is nextchapterlifestyleadvisors.com. And my new book, Nine Steps to a Rich Life Retirement, is on Amazon in audio. I self-recorded that one, ebook, and in hardcover. And that gives a, a bit of an insight into my philosophy of the rich life. But welcome input, comments, and inquiries from people like your dad and your, your father-in-law who are you know, facing some of those struggles. And also from advisors, whether they be in family offices, RIAs, bank owned firms, wherever they are that are saying, this is the new frontier and I want to be part of it. And in that regard, we have our program for advisors, which more than happy to talk to people about. How painful was it to do the recording, the audio recording for the book? (laughs) The book's not, it's it's a quick, easy read and it was a little bit painful, but I worked with a really great team in the studio. And because I knew my subject matter and because I'm passionate about it, it it flowed better than if I was trying to read someone else's book. Yeah. It was more painful writing the book than recording it, I have to say. Uh, I, I can imagine. Well, you know, thank you again for joining us. Everyone listening, please do leave a comment. Let us know your favorite part about the conversation and leave us a rating. Susan, something we ask folks to come on the show. Do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Yes, actually three, four daily practices. It starts off with what's called morning pages, which is a few writing lines um, that I got inspired by by a book that was written originally called The Artist's Way, and then it became The Listening Way, this book. So that's step one before I get out of bed. Step two is meditation, which I, I think is wonderful to try and become centered and bring peace. Uh, step three is yoga. I actually teach yoga, but I have a daily practice. Step four is exercise. And I'm either on my Peloton bike or working out with my trainer or walking or doing something to stay in shape. So I feel that my mornings kickstart the right way when I introduce all of those elements to it. Thank you for sharing. That's great. Well, Susan, thank you again for joining us. It's been terrific. I look forward to staying in touch and definitely encourage people to go check out the website. You've got a lot of good resources there. And then the book as well that you referenced, we'll include all that in the show notes and, and hopefully people will learn more about what you all are doing. Great. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Thanks, Susan. Take care. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.